We're reading from Galatians 2, starting from verse 11 to 21. (coughs) When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not just justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no human, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. So today is uh, Reformation Sunday. Uh, That is the Sunday closest to, (coughs) pardon me, part to, to Reformation Day. Now, Much to the disappointment of some, uh, I'm not a big fan of the church ecclesiastical calendar. Uh, By that I mean we don't tend to make a big thing of celebrating, say, Lent and um, Advent and those sorts of things. Reformation Day is one of those sorts of things because I think what happens is that when we focus on these things, we can get lost uh, and my conviction is that it kind of leaves you very little room to grow in the kind of depth you develop over time as you explore Scripture sequentially, as we've been doing over the last year or so in our Garden to Garden City series. But when the good Lord gives us these moments of incidental convergence, who am I to argue? Because today is Reformation Sunday, and it's also the time in our um, in our series where we are starting to look at some of the key truths that, or some of the key theology that is developed in the New Testament as primarily Paul writes uh, the New Testament letters. And so where we are in the story, uh, just, uh, just briefly, is that 
the Christian faith has now started to spread to a number of different cities. So a couple of weeks ago we looked at the book of Acts where we saw how um, through the work of the Holy Spirit the gospel goes out into these, these various kinds of cities and over time churches are established and now uh, the apostles want to make sure that they stay true to the teachings of Jesus and how they did that was uh, at least what we, what we have today is the letters they wrote to these churches to kind of coach them along, uh, along the way. And of course, the Apostle Paul shines here as one of the most, if not the most prolific writer in the, in the Bible. And today's text comes from a letter he writes to the church in Galatia. And he deals there with one of the central core truths that the Reformation helped the church rediscover um, some 1,500 years later. And this truth is, has to do with our justification. It has to do with how we are saved. Now, as we'll see, this question has enduring relevance for us today. And so when we look at our text, we see, um, we see that, that, uh, that Peter and Paul have this kind of Barney in front of everyone. They have a fight. Uh, and, and the first thing we need to look at is the reason that Paul opposes Peter uh, or Cephas in this, uh, in, in this letter to his face. That was just his, his Greek name. And so what is the problem? What's going on here? Why is, it, is Paul so uh, angry with, um, with Peter that all sense of propriety kind of leave him? In our culture, this kind of goes against every fibre of our being. I mean, imagine if you uh, went to visit a, a mega church somewhere and they had one of these celebrity pastors and the, and, the, and the guy from the church next door comes and they're in front of everyone. He gets up and tells the church that what this pastor is teaching is wrong. Now, we have a few examples of that happening in our culture. Um, but when that happens, there is shock and scandal and it's shameful and, you know, that person would never be allowed back in that church, you know. Uh, and, and these things don't sort of happen in the circles we travel in. If I say something that is heretical, uh, then you are most likely not going to get up and, and come and oppose me to my face. You should, but it's unlikely to happen. What's much more likely is that you might make a small mention to the elders after the church, you know, quiet word to the pastor after the sermon. If you're really concerned, you might even write a letter uh, to the church council. But we would not take someone head on in front of an assembly, it just wouldn't happen. And not only that, Peter was an important apostle. He was, uh, he was the one who uh, Jesus says, on this rock I will, will build my church, you know. Uh, that's the Peter who, who's, who uh, was so critical and vital in starting the church. He was an important apostle. So was Paul. Virtually half the book of Acts is dedicated kind of to the actions of Peter and the apostles as they preach the gospel, and then the other half is kind of um, Paul's work as he, as he goes around. So both guys, very important people in the early church. Peter was the uh, sort of the pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was the one of whom Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And so opposing him to his face was a really drastic action for someone to take. So why did it happen? Well, Paul says, because Peter stands condemned. 
And that's a pretty strong word to use in the context of justification. It refers to, uh, to his status as someone legally guilty before God. And there's this real interplay in the text between being justified by Christ through faith and being condemned by our own actions in the text. Now, it's probably right for us to pause here and just for a moment and think about what justification is. What does that term mean when I say that? Otherwise, we're not going to understand why this is so important. Now, remember what the main issue has been for humanity ever since the sort of the start of the Bible is that our relationship with God has been broken, that we stood legally in the spiritual courts, if you like, condemned before God. There's this gap that exists in our relationship between us and God uh, because of sin. Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden precisely because this relationship with God has been broken. They stood legally condemned before Him. They had incurred a debt of death that needed to be paid. And so all throughout the Bible, it's the story of how this gap needs to be filled, how this problem is trying to be solved. And so what happens ultimately on the cross is that Jesus takes this death debt on Himself, He pays the debt, and we are free. We are made just as if I had never sinned. That is our justification. When, when that happens, we, we get this kind of legal stamp, you know, that you might see at a, at a um, public service office, uh, paid in full. There's a stamp that's put on us that says, our debt has been paid in full. That is our justification. We are made legally right before God. And it happens once. It happens when Jesus dies on the cross And when we come to faith, that label is applied to us. It is a legal declaration that our relationship before God is fixed. It's like getting a sign hung around your neck saying, this label applies to me, I am made free. Our debt is cancelled on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross. And so when you mess with justification by faith, based on Jesus' work on the cross, you actually unravel the entire story. It is a critical truth of our faith. It's not something we can get wrong. We are saved by grace through faith on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross. Now, is that really what Peter was having a problem with? Well, what what was he doing? Let's have a look. At first glance, it doesn't seem so bad. You see, all that Peter was doing was that he had started withdrawing from the Gentile Christians and he started eating only with the Jews again. Our text puts it this way. It said, before before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So he separates and and he eats with only one group of people. Now, that's not exactly a strong action, is it? He's just not eating with the Gentiles, and that was kind of it. That was his big crime. So, why is this such a big problem for the Apostle Paul? Why is it that Paul takes such drastic action to oppose Peter to his face in front of the crowd if his great sin was simply separating himself from the Gentile Christians? 
because we have to understand what this small action ultimately meant. To eat with someone in the culture of the day was to accept them, to share life with them, to live with them as brothers and sisters. That's, uh, that's why Jesus got into so much trouble when he ate and drank with the tax collectors and sinners. And he was saying, these are my people. These are my people. And so when Peter withdraws himself from the Gentile Christians, he's effectively saying, you are not my people. What Peter was doing through his action was to say that, yes, Jesus died on the cross, and yes, that saves you, and, and that's all good and well, but the Jewish Christians are really a little bit better. If you happen to be a Jew, or if you get circumcised, obey the Mosaic laws, then you're really a Christian, you know, really. He was starting to introduce this kind of hierarchy, if you will, in the faith based on our actions. And that's a problem. If the basis for our salvation is the finished work of Jesus, when you introduce a hierarchy based on our own works, you're going to run into problems. And that's Paul's problem. That's why he says uh, what Peter is doing borders on condemning himself, getting rid of that label that says justified. He's placing his very standing before God in jeopardy. Now, there are implications for us to think about things like, you know, once saved, always saved, and so on. And I'm not going to go into that today. But what he was effectively saying was that if you start messing with the, with the faith um, of what Jesus did on the cross, you are undoing the very nature of the gospel. Once you add something to the work of Jesus on the cross as something to be done, then you've lost the whole gospel altogether and Christ has died in vain. And that is one of the core central truths that the Reformation helped us to rediscover. You know, it's not Jesus plus the sale of indulgences. It's not Jesus plus doing penance for the sins that you've, you've committed. It's not Jesus plus taking holy orders and becoming a monk somewhere in a monastery somewhere. No, it is Christ alone. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, our shield and our song. When we understand that that's what's really going on, you can start to see why this was such a big problem for the Apostle Paul. But the problem is not just that it was an issue for Peter, but that these kinds of things, because our hearts are so broken, have a way of infecting those around us, don't they? Paul is shocked that even Barnabas is led astray by this hypocrisy that Peter brings into the church. And that's not a small thing. Barnabas was the person who travelled with Paul on all his missionary journals. He was, um, he was right there with the Gentiles uh, sharing the gospel, rejoicing, teaching, training up their elders. He was all the way along and he now starts separating himself from the Gentiles too. It's really easy to default or to fall into Jesus plus something. In the case of these Christians, they were really wrestling with the, their identity. They were Jewish Christians they were God's chosen people, they were God's special nation, and now, because Jesus had come, that, that label was taken away from them, and they are only Christians now. And so they're, they're having this, um, 
this identity crisis. Am I a Jew? Am I a Christian? Am I a Jewish Christian? What does that look like? And they get it wrong. Their very cultural identity is at stake here because of their faith in Christ Jesus. He comes, he declares the Gentiles to be clean because of the work of Jesus on the cross and it's hard for these Jewish Christians to make sense of their world. Peter struggled with this, he gets it wrong and starts leading others astray. And so that's why Paul has a go at him because it strikes at the very core foundation of our faith. Now, what does this mean for us? I think it means two things for us. The first is that it's terribly confronting for us, and the second is that it's terribly comforting for us. So terribly confronting. Why do I find this so terribly confronting? Because, friends, I think this forces us to ask the question, what are the presuppositions I hold when it comes to other believers? What are the, what are the, um, the eating with, gen, uh, with Jews only types of things that we do in our culture and judge other Christians by? What are the circumcision boxes that need to be ticked? How do we separate, uh, how do, um, or do we separate ourselves from other Christians who are culturally different? I remember growing up in South Africa, Johannesburg, crime capital of the world, great place. Um, and when I was growing up, we were, uh, it was the time of the first uh, truly democratic vote, right? The first black vote in South Africa. And so there was still culturally a lot of racism uh, in, in, even in the church where I was at. And um, the church where I went to, the last couple of years we attended there before we moved here, the church, uh, being very forward-thinking, they started up a service for the black community. But it wasn't during the same time as the service for the white people. And so this is after apartheid comes to an end in South Africa. But the policy of the church was everyone's welcome at every church, but everyone knew that you know, the white people had their service at 9 a.m. in the morning, the civilized hour of the day, and then in the middle of the day, that's when the black people had their service. And that's just how it worked. And it was all very easily justified. You know, black people worship God in a different way and it's just very different. And so it makes sense for us to just separate the us and them, right? And that's how it was. I think that's possibly problematic. That's not how it's supposed to be. Peter came and he ate with these unclean Gentiles, but now... Uh, he started separating from the unclean Gentiles because he'd rather be with his own, his own crowd. Now, I have to admit that um, this is not something you think about until years and years later, but God declares that all Christians are brothers and sisters on the basis of the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's why we can be here together, South Africans, Dutch people, Greeks and Sri Lankans, wherever else you're from, we are together because we share the blood of Christ. We are brothers and sisters because of that. Not eating with the Gentiles said that even though God has declared you free and righteous on the basis of the work of Jesus on the cross, I don't see you that way. You are lesser, different, somehow unacceptable to me. And that's not only an issue for uh, for the person, it's also an issue for the community. 
And when we do that, we actually place ourselves above God and we say, your work was great for saving them, but now I'm going to put in this hierarchy, this separation between the two people. So friends, do we, through our actions, act as if our brothers and sisters are somehow greater or lesser than us because of, uh, because of the way we, we treat them? Is our judgment standing above the judgment of God? Do we separate ourselves on the basis of maybe socioeconomic standing, skin colour, educational level, being the life of the party or not, introverted, extroverted? Jesus' work on the cross says that we are one body, joined together by one spirit, unified by Christ, regardless of all of those sorts of things. To paraphrase Kath and Kim, <coughs> there is a danger for us, for the affluent not to mix with the effluent. I'll just wait for you to get that joke. That's fine. Do we exclude people based on our actions simply because they're slightly different to us, even though we share Christ? That's the first thing, I think, that this confronts us to deal with. But I think there's possibly a deeper problem going on here, and that is the, the plus bits that we put in. There is a temptation for us to look at the lives of other believers and go, well, they don't read their Bible the same way I do, or as often, or as deeply. They don't pray, <coughs> you know, they don't, they don't pray when we have a prayer service or something. They don't come to that, therefore, they're somehow worse than I am. They didn't come to the spiritual retreat, so they must not be as spiritual as, as we are. They don't show up to working bees or, or serve in the coffee roster or whatever the case may be. There's a challenge here for us that confronts us. What are the tick boxes, the plus bits to Jesus that we put in place in our hearts to make us feel superior to our brothers and sisters? The plain and simple fact is that you and I cannot pretend that we are better than anyone else. Because it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was your sin that held Christ on the cross until it was accomplished. There is no separation between Jew and Gentile, between you and I, between those who read their Bible every day and every second day. We are justified by faith through Jesus' work on the cross. And that's it. And that can be confronting for us to reckon with. But I think it's also very comforting. It's confronting, yes, but I think it's also very comforting that Peter 
had this problem. Because he got it wrong. He got it wrong. You know, we, we sometimes think, uh, Paul, yeah, he was great. That was Paul. He was a wonderful apostle. I could never be like Paul. It was Peter. He was an apostle. He was one of the super Christians. I could never be like him. He was definitely special. He was one of those that spoke to Jesus personally. He's the one who established the church. I could never be like that. I think why I find this so terribly comforting is because I can be like this. You and I, in many ways, are just like Peter failing here. These guys were extraordinary only because the Holy Spirit empowered them. It was only because of God that they could achieve these wonderful things. They were just 12 ordinary guys, fishermen, tent makers, tax collectors. And it was only because of Christ Jesus that this simple fisherman, Simon, became Peter the Rock. And it was only because of Jesus that the murderer Saul became the Apostle Paul. And still Peter got it wrong. Peter got it wrong and I think that is encouraging. Right? I think that is comforting. Because that means when I get it wrong, there is grace for me too. Peter was full of hypocrisy here. He was guilty of creating kind of cliques within his church. He was guilty of acting contrary to the truth he knew to be true. And Paul reminded Peter quite publicly of the truth of the gospel. God was not done with Peter yet. Yes, he got it wrong, but God was shaping him, in this case quite publicly through the work of the Apostle Paul, but God was straightening him out. He was still working in his heart. He was still being formed spiritually uh, through the work of others in the church. And I think that is a great encouragement because none of us are ever finished, right? Yes, we are justified by our faith through the completed work of Jesus on the cross, but that's really when the work starts in many ways. That's when he starts changing us, sanctification, sanctifying us, helping us grow little by little, bit by bit, step by step, to the character and the purposes of Christ. Where the Holy Spirit continually nudges us and aligns us a little bit more to His will. He uses all kinds of different means. In this case, He was using the Apostle Paul to smack him over the head in front of everyone and I'm sure Peter didn't feel very great with that, but God was working on his heart. And that is comforting. That is part of the gospel good news. Yes, our relationship is fixed. We've got the sign that says we are justified, but God now commits to changing us, making us saintly. Changing us through our sanctification, bit by bit, step by step, towards Jesus. And that means no matter how superior we might feel or how inferior we might feel, God is still at work in your heart. It doesn't matter where we stand on the financial or social status, God is still working on your heart because you have been saved by faith. And that is good news for us. God is not finished with you yet. If Peter could get it wrong, if even Peter needed to be straightened out by the truth of the gospel, 
then where, why should we expect to be any different? We are right in our relationship with God because the bridge had been built by Christ. And now as we walk towards God, we are being shaped into Christ. And I think that is terribly comforting. So now the question is, what is your next step? Where is God leading you to next? What is the thing that the Apostle Paul has to come and slap you around the head with in front of everyone? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to once again come and consider, uh, I guess, some of the big theological concepts this morning, particularly around our justification um, through the work of Jesus on the cross and how by faith that label is applied to us, that you have made it just as if we had never sinned. What a wonderful freedom that is for us to live in. And yet, Lord, as we see, even the Apostle Peter could get it wrong, And that means so can we. And so we pray that you will again come and apply the truth of the gospel to our hearts. Help us be challenged by your word. Help us grow in our faith and love for you. Lord, we pray that we will not just be justified, but that you through your spirit will continue to also sanctify us as we move towards Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.